Okay, here we go. Okay, let's make sure you guys are still live. You are all still out there. Once again, I'm sorry about this way. This is just a weird day. And it won't be the last weird day either, so let me fire up that intro again. You guys are probably getting really annoyed. From the beginning. And I was shown that... Um, uh, that Lucifer would return, that the UN and the Vatican were going to be completely behind it, again, under false pretenses. He's going to show up and say, I'm here to save the day, right? Uh, and, okay, fine, you know. Yeah, of course, ahead, you can say whatever you want. But I've always hated censorship. It's the internet. Sometimes, you know, once they get you for your first love bite, well, it depends on how aware you are, right? First of all, as you know, the, uh, the Anunnaki and the Draco are enemies. Second of all, underneath Baghdad was a stargate that was created by the Anunnaki so that they could transfer from Jupiter to the Earth. Practitioners that you know some are are good and some use their magic for good and to heal and to help and others do use it for evil and you know in some cases you know people really were. This is too much sometimes. From the broken ruins of Babylon, this is End of Days Radio. I am your host, Daniel, coming at you all the way from that shimmering emerald city right here in the heart of the Pacific Northwest. Today's date is August 14th, 2017, and... This evening's guest is Stan Deo. Stan Deo is a scientist with an above-top-secret security clearance and has worked undercover for the FBI. He was part of an exclusive black-budget project headed by Dr. Edward Teller, specializing in the development of flying saucer technology. He's a computer programmer, physicist, and advanced propulsion, in- advanced propulsion engineer. Okay, so why don't we go ahead and... Give him a call. Hello? You rang. Stan? You rang, sir. Absolutely. Stan, welcome to the end of days. Hey. Yeah, good to be here. How are things over in your part of the world? Uh, it's going. It's going. It's going pretty good. Uh, still trying to 
wake up humanity. It, it's taking a little while, but I'm still trying. And how about you? Anything new in the world of Standeo? Well, um, yeah, I guess. I've been doing a lot of research on things. Um, I've got a project running with my team of uh, researchers uh, in the United States and Canada and Australia, and uh, we're very close to solving the uh, Moray free energy uh, device. Um, we had to import some element, well, chemicals, I guess they were, from uh, China. They're crystalline uh, subjects that uh, we put into a compress, and it helps us to convert electrostatic waves into electricity from the air. Oh, wow. So you're, you're actually uh, drawing energy from the air around us. Well, you know, it's a funny thing. Um, people that looked at these various atmospheric devices in the last hundred years have thought that there was some kind of a, a radio wave that you tuned to and that was giving you the energy. But they overlooked the fact that things like lightning flashes, which we get about 3,600 of them a minute around the planet, when you flash the lightning, a multitude of pressure waves come out from it. They're static waves. And the static waves vibrate the atmosphere and the electric charge in it. And the atmosphere is like, like a capacitor. But the big supply of energy comes from the sun because constantly we're having bombardment of the upper atmosphere by the solar wind. And periodically, probably mm, every seven days or so, that wind gets thicker um, as the, the um, kind of the Catherine wheel arm of the solar wind coming from the sun spins past the Earth. It doesn't matter. The energy we're looking at is that it vibrates electrostatically the atmosphere. And so we found a way to tie into the atmosphere and to trap those electrostatic waves. They're just, they're not like a particular frequency. They come in all kinds of surges, like the, like the waves on the seashore. They're not organized, they're random. Uh, some stronger than others, and it works day and night. So we had to uh, design some new equipment and uh, a new kind of semiconductor, which is what the chemicals are for. Uh, they're elements, uh, you know, oxides. And um, we are very close at this point to uh, solving that and sharing it with the world. I think people are going to need this fairly shortly. Is Is this going to be able to be released to the public okay, or is there the possibility that big energy might get involved and try to screw things up? Well, you know, the only way they can screw it up is to wipe out what we've already released on the Internet so far. Uh, we've been kind of reporting on this in various places across the Internet about what progress we've made and the concept of it. And uh, we're doing this for that very reason, is once it's out there, they're going to have to go find everybody that ever listened to it or saw what we what we put out there to stop it. So the only way they can do that, I suppose, is with some kind of a, a global government, because it's not going to be used just in the United States. It'll be worldwide. Um, and it's that there are many other ways to get energy out of the universe, but this particular one is one that we know works. And... Uh, is fairly safe, uh, even in lightning storms. We're still working on that. Is this something that a, a company might be able to clone or duplicate and, and release? Yeah. Yeah, we will be filing a patent on it, um, perhaps two or three of them, because we were told that if we didn't and, and uh, put it out there for everybody free of charge, you know, as far as the information how to do it, um, that someone else, less 
you know, scrupulous, would uh, um, patent what we've released and then turn around and tell us we can't make it or, you know, disseminate the information anymore or charge us, you know, royalties for what we've done. So to protect ourselves from being sued, we have to file a patent, which is ridiculous, but that's the way it is. Yeah, un- understandable. There's certain certain uh, red tape that has to be dealt with. But what I do want to do next is talk a little bit about you, Stan. Uh, where was it that you grew up, and what was it like there? You ask a lot of your guests that. Um, I grew up in Dallas, and it was Big D, little A, double L A S, Dallas. What can I say? Good times. <laughs> Well, yeah, I grew up there and uh, went to high school there and then uh, left uh, to go to the U.S. US Air Force Academy uh, with a congressional appointment in 1962. Were you a pretty smart kid? Were you, like, uh, top of the class? Yeah. And how was it that you became so interested in computers? Well, after I left the academy, I went to Dallas and... um, into the civilian world, actually, after I checked out of the Air Force as well. And um, the the job I got in this particular insurance company there in Dallas uh, had a fledgling computer department, and the uh, the menial job they'd assigned me to on stamping, you know, rubber stamping forms and whatever, it was such a, uh, a lack of challenge that my... Uh, supervisor said, you know, you'd be better off in our computer department, and they put me over there and then sent me over to IBM to be trained in operations and systems analysis and programming, and that's how I got started. Never thought about doing it until they told me I had to, so. And how about your interest in propulsion? Well, that probably started kind of on the back burner with my dad back in the uh, late 50s. He was determined to figure out how these UFOs, these flying saucers, were working. And having been an instructor pilot uh, in World War II, he had ideas about how it might work. And he drew up things, uh, you know, designs and stuff. We talked about it. And it never went anywhere. We went on to other things uh, in his work. But um, years passed, and I thought back on that while I was there in Dallas working in the computer industry. And uh, at home, and I lived outside of Dallas on the periphery in Mesquite. I uh, set up a, a lab, a physics you know lab, in my uh, converted my garage to one, and I started looking for the answer that he was after, and um, then I found it, and I thought, well, wow, this is a clever way to fly a circular disc, and um, started working on the information I would need to file a patent, and. One day, while I was away from the home and in, in town at my office, at the computer job, someone broke into my house. A couple of guys did in broad daylight. Uh, my neighbor happened to be at home and saw this and rang me, and uh, they saw him looking through the window and dropped everything and uh, took off. They'd broken the door down to my lab and got in there and, I guess, seen what I had on the blackboard and some of the papers on the desk and things. Uh, stole a couple of things that weren't worth much, a, a pistol and some other small items. And I forgot about it. Well, I guess a couple of months later, in my computer job, I was approached by a vice president of one of the hundred corporations that belonged to the conglomerate. And uh, he told me that I needed to go talk to a friend of his, a 
about my research at home. Which is interesting because he didn't know exactly what that was. Anyway, one thing led to another, and I went to see this Dr. Maxfield. He has a radiation research clinic there in Dallas, or he did have. He's moved to Florida now. And um, he knew everything I was doing. He asked me, uh, you know, I walked into his office, and I'm shortening the story because it's just, you know, kind of boring to go over and over again like I've done on the uh, numerous shows. But um, in his office, as he took me into his office, on the wall were pictures of him and Edward Teller in a submarine drinking champagne as they passed under a pole and at one of the planet's poles. And um, there were things about, uh, you know, uh, the degrees that Maxfield had in various things in physics and mathematics. And I was sitting in the presence of guys that had degrees out the wazoo, and I didn't. And uh, when he said to me, what are you doing at home in your lab? And I told him, well, sir, I'm kind of working on a theory about gravity and, and, and electricity and magnetism, a way to, uh, he says, look, you don't have to him and haul with me. I know what you're working on. You're working on anti-gravity. So, you know, we are too. We've uh, come uh, a long way since 19, I think it was 62 or so. Uh, we've built a number of craft, and um, we'd like to have you join our team down in Australia. So that was where I left the computer industry and went to Australia with Dr. Teller's team. And how is it that, I suppose my question would be, I, I'm sure it's going to be hard to explain it, but how does anti-gravity work? Well, first of all, you have to understand gravity. <clears throat> I've been working on a paper here probably for the last seven years trying to get it to where it's uh, in plain English and with diagrams and illustrations so that people can understand what I'm saying. Gravity is not a magical one-directional attraction force. It's really the sum of a wave coming toward an object and reflecting back. It's called the sum of the divergent and convergent waves. Now, to interact with that, you have to generate a local field that is pulsing back and forth, back and forth, generates this uh, divergent wave and then gets reflected by space as a convergent wave. Um, think about this. They say galaxies have you know, this tremendous gravity. Why is it that galaxies are kind of flat? Most of them are spiral arms. Uh, why, don't, why aren't they a big ball equal gravity? Why isn't everything pulled into a ball? Why is it flattened? Why do stars that have planets, why don't the planets orbit over the top of the star? Why do they orbit in what's called the orbital plane? If gravity is equal, they should be able to orbit anywhere they want to. And then why do planets orbit in the same direction that the star is spinning? Why do the stars in the galaxy orbit in the same direction that the black hole is orbiting at the center of the galaxy? These are a lot of simple questions, and uh, I know the answers to them. There is a space, uh, an ether space, shall we call it, that's made of very fine particles, extremely fine. And now then the scientists, uh, the physicists, are trying to figure out using the, the Einstein relativity approach, which says that gravity distorts space-time, which is, you know, not the way it is. I'll explain that if you want in a minute. But uh, they're trying to say that because of this, uh, that there is dark energy and dark matter that you can't see with the telescopes and various other normal methods of, of observing space that causes everything to have gravity. <laughs> And they're, 
they are stumbling around because they're on the wrong path. And it was a very simple mistake that occurred with the, the uh, Michelson-Morley experiment back in the early uh, 1900s. Uh, and I explained this in my book, The Cosmic Conspiracy, in the, uh, I think it's Appendix 5, I explained the error that occurred, and it's a very simple thing. They uh, split a light beam and sent part of it, half of it, in the direction of the Earth's orbit, the spin of our planet, you know, around the sun. And the other half of it was split out at right angles um, to the, the travel around the sun. And then they had mirrors to collect those beams and put them back together on their little board. And if the beams didn't arrive at the same time, it would cause what's called interference fringes in their the, the scope that they were using to read it. And they would know that one light beam, which had traveled further than the other one, uh, had traveled through something, space, ether space. They were trying to see if space had resistance to things traveling through it. Now, so they did the experiment. And their experiment, uh, summarized, said that no matter whether one beam traveled further than the other one in that split second, uh, they both arrive back at the same time. Therefore, there is, number one, no ether space. And number two, there's a fixed velocity to the speed of light. Now, here's the error. Let's start with things that Einstein liked to use as example. Take a, a hot cup of tea with cream in it or milk so that it's colored drop a few tea leaves into it and stir it rapidly so that you have a vortex in the middle. Now you'll see some tea leaves floating further out and some uh, floating in closer to the spinning vortex. And that vortex is like our sun. Now reduce your size mentally so that you can sit on one of those tea leaves that's orbiting around that vortex and you can put your hand over the side into the tea and feel it. Now to your surprise, if you're not aware, you'll find that the tea next to your leaf is not moving at all because you're moving with it. It is moving you. You're not moving through it. It is moving you. And this is where the error occurred because the result of the Michael Zamorley experiment showed that, you know, there was nothing there and that the light had a fixed velocity and stuff. Well, if, if we were moving through the tea on our tea leaf, sure, and if, you know, we would feel the difference, the, the pressure of the stream of tea passing by our tea leaf. But that's not the way it is. So instead of saying that we move through the tea, the tea moves us. It's the opposite point. Now, in 1925, Michelson teamed up with a guy named Gale, and they made a spinning circular board where they split the light in half, one half of it going with the spin of the board and the other half going against now, that would definitely show a, a variation in the speed of light uh, if that experiment worked, and it did. It was so accurate that they could put it, and they did put it under a, a battleship, and they were able to tell where the ship was and to give you know uh, directions to the uh, uh, you know the pilot uh, to go this way or that way, depending upon how they were reading the interference fringes. So they proved that the Michelson-Morley interpretation that Einstein used was wrong. Now, Einstein thought, well, that's what the test said, that there's no ether space and there's a limit velocity light. How do I fit that into my model of relativity? So he went over and he, he got the work of Lorentz and Fitzgerald, two other mathematicians, and they had looked at this problem to explain this, this 
anomalous result in the Michael Samori experiment, the first one. And they formed what was called the uh, Lorentz Fitzgerald transform. And basically what that was was a fudge factor. And Einstein took that fudge factor and put it into his uh, general relativity equations so that he could bring the observed result into uh, alignment with his theoretical results. Now, if Einstein had not done that, if he had figured using the 1925 result, he would realize there is an ether space, and it is moving objects. It spins up star systems. It spins up galaxies. It spins up atoms, all at different uh, rotational or angular velocities. But still, he would have seen that, and it would have made his relativity uh, more friendly, as it is now. Uh, and, and he ran into this problem, too. There are certain things, problems you can put into these relativity equations and try to get an answer back out into the real 3D world, and it doesn't come back out. It's garbage. So he knew there was an error, at least one major flaw in relativity. Now, I, uh, when I was back in Dallas and uh, working in my lab uh, in the evening, it was toward Christmas time, um, I had been given a book on Einstein's biography where they were quoting him on various things that he said in life, various things he did. And I was really enjoying the book. Uh, my wife was down wrapping Christmas packages, you know, for that time of year. And um, we were there in the workshop, and I was I had a blackboard over to the right. And I thought, you know, Einstein said he can't figure out why light, which is obviously a waveform, can get from the sun to the earth through nothingness. A wave has to have something to travel on or through. So I went up to the blackboard, and I drew a with a chalk, I drew a picture of the sun, and off to the right, I drew uh, a, um, a series of dots in like a matrix, you know, a grid between the Earth and uh, the sun. And I tried to figure out how a light wave could kick ahead something of itself and ride on itself to get to the Earth. And I said, well, that's rubbish. And I took my eraser and I rubbed it out, and I sat back down, picked up the book, and started reading. When I picked up the book, it could have been written in... Russian, for all I know, I could not see letters in English. They were in a strange language. And I thought, something's wrong. I can't read. And I told the wife that. And she said, well, obviously, there's something here wrong with your, your mind. You need to get back over to that board, that child board, and you know, revisit what you were doing there because your mind is still wanting to go that way. So I went over, and I started to put the, put the chalk up on the board. And as I did, I looked at the board in the eraser marks, which I'd done randomly, right? The eraser marks was a perfect side view of Albert Einstein. I turned to her and I said, can, can, can you tell me, I want to ask you a question here or something on the board. And she said, oh, well, before you do, who's that, that guy you've drawn up there? I said, you see that? She said, oh, yeah. I said, it's Albert Einstein. So now I was really spooked. And uh, so I, I thought more and I went back over to the book and I could read it now. So I'm thinking, what was that all about? And over the next few nights, I had dreams where... I saw these equations and, and space, and, you know, I, I was starting to understand how the universe worked as a fluid mechanism, um, and that was the beginning of understanding gravity. Now, to make anti-gravity, what you do is generate a local spinning vortex in the field of space, in ether space, which is all through us and around us. It organizes matter. To do that, you need, uh, in our uh, mechanics, you need a toroidal coil that's like uh, wrapped around a donut, and you need to have a 
bite out of that donut and that coil. So you got this coil wrapped around a donut uh, core. And then on the inside of the donut in the hole, uh, going in the direction of the donut, you wrap a cylindrical coil instead of a toroidal coil. And you hook them together. And you can pulse them in a circuit with direct current, uh, various frequencies for various types of gravity fields, various uh, distances from the center of the field. And it will generate a massive circulating direct current field in and around and through those coils. And in a 30-foot diameter craft, uh, we would send out a field maybe 800 feet in diameter. But you'd have to build it up. You know, you didn't have to have a super powerful engine, just one that would, you know, pump the the field. And it's like layers of an onion. This field moves out as it stores more energy. And we realized this is what Dr. Michael Faraday was looking for in the research he did, you know, a couple centuries back. Because he said, you know, a capacitor, a static capacitor, it's like when you comb your hair with a comb and it's, it'll pick up a piece of paper. That static can be stored in a capacitor, and it'll be there unless you discharge it in the air. It'll be there for a long time. But he said there's another kind of capacitor that the equations predict, where you have, instead of a static or non-moving charge, you have a moving charge, which he represented as Q over T, charge over time. Now, you're going to think I'm fooling you, but I'm not. That kind of a capacitor is called a flux capacitor. And he he spent the rest of his life trying to make one of those and couldn't figure out how. What we did with anti-gravity was to build a flying flux capacitor because it stores dynamic charge, which generates the flux field, moving in a vortex uh, that surrounds the ship and goes through the members and the crew and the whole ship, and in this case out to about 800-foot uh, diameter. So that's how you do anti-gravity. Uh, it's um, a way to pump up that field. It becomes like a ground in an electric circuit, except it's a ground that keeps the charge, moving charge you put into it and stores it in, in layers around it, in spinning layers. And you can set your radius from the Earth's gravitational field or any other field you're, you're working on, you know, other planets, whatever. You can set that by changing the frequency and the, um, the size of the field, which in our case was limited to because of the 30-foot diameter craft. But there are bigger ones, so that's how it was done. Is this how those weird flying black triangle crafts achieve anti-gravity? Yeah, it uh, it was a variant on the, the uh, saucer craft in that the, the pods, there were three pods at each of the points of the triangle underneath it and then a major pod in the middle uh, underneath. There are a number of ways that you can structure these things uh, to get different effects. Um, the uh, The black triangles are just one of several types of designs that are around us here. Yeah, I one of the reasons why I started this show was because I actually saw one of those things close up and spent so many years trying to figure out what the heck it was and, and what the heck it wanted with me, but I saw it make some rather strange maneuvers. Can they do things like shoot in one direction and then switch directions and, and shoot the other direction and, and shoot up in the air and then just turn on a dime like that? Is is the technology capable of doing those things? Oh, yeah. And let me explain why. Remember I told you here that the, the field penetrates every atom of the crew and the craft and the air around it. What happens is if you charge that field up and you... Um, uh, 
asymmetric, so it's going to go in a certain direction. You steer it by some side field coils, which bend the field. You start to move. Let's say you're going 20,000 miles an hour. If you were to take a normal aircraft and do that and try to turn at right angles or go backwards or you know change direction on a dime, um, what would happen is you would destroy the craft and the crew by the inertial uh, fatigue that would hit their bodies. It's like crashing into a brick wall at 20,000 miles an hour. But what happens is <clears throat> you see a craft going like that, like a you know a light in the sky, and then all of a sudden it makes a right angle turn. But as it does, at the instant it turns, there's a brilliant flash of light. It's because before they go into the turn, they pump the field up so that the atoms of the crew and the uh, the craft are spinning much more rapidly, storing a lot of energy in them. Well, this makes them more massive, and so. The physical and chemical reactions that normally take place in a human body or in the the, uh, the circuits of the craft sl- uh, slow down. So um, you're in there. You can drink a cup of tea when they charge the craft up, turn the corner, and to you it might take five minutes to turn that corner and change direction at right angles because it's amortizing that inertial change into spin in the atoms. Now then, you've made your course correction while you were doing it, you looked out the window and you looked at people on the ground, and they were in slow motion because you were you were living faster than them. Your physics were different. So, so I've so by activating the field, I've I've separated myself from the the uh, physics around me. Yes. Oh wow! That's a good, okay, that's a good uh, way to say it. Yes, and you age you age more than your twin would on the Earth, who's not in a field like that. Every time you make its course direction. You don't want to. You won't see them make gentle, curving changes of direction uh, because that's not the way it works. When you pump up the field and then discharge it as you as you make a course correction, you'll see them make jerky motions. But understand, to them, they are spending many more seconds, minutes in the turn or the change of direction than your eye can perceive because you're in slow motion by comparison. Actually, I said it incorrectly about the, the thing. When the energy charge you up and you spin faster, you, you age at a different rate. You age faster. Everything speeds up. You know in the Bible where it talks about Ezekiel's flaming chariot? Mm-hmm. And when when angels have appeared and they were like fire and there was heat associated with them. When these beings come through into our universe, from the parallel one that we're you know, next to or inside of, I guess would be the best way to say it. When they do, their atoms are like those flying saucers that are about to turn the corner. They have so much energy density on their atoms that when they come into our world, which is usually at altitude and they descend as they discharge their, their energy, the, uh, the process um, has to be done to uh, slow them down before they can touch people or things here in their high energy state. Otherwise, it will burn them. It'll, it'll destroy people. Um, it's a strange thing, but anyway, that's the way it works. And some of the ziggurats and stuff in the old um, the days of Babylon before that, the ziggurats were made in layers so that the the gods, they call them the G-gods, the ones coming from the parallel universe, would descend through a gate there and be very energetic and glow. And they would have to discharge that over a period of several hours. So they would leave food on the layer, at the top layer of the ziggurat, for these travelers to eat or to partake of somehow or another. I don't know what they would do if they ate it or not, because in my opinion, it would probably destroy the fruit from the heat. But anyway, they left something up there for them. And they would spend you know an hour or two up there, and then they'd come down to the next level and the next level. 
and then they could come down and people could touch them and it didn't kill them. Remember Moses, when he came down from 40 days up there with God on, on the burning mountain, he had to hide his face for several weeks because his skin and face all glowed bright. He was very energetic. And, you know, he kept away from people so as not to frighten or harm them, but just being in the presence of the Creator God up there that, you know, energized him while he was talking to him, uh, it, it charged his atoms just like he was in the parallel universe, well, which he could have been, I guess. But anyway, um, these things all tell you some of the physics between uh, parallel universes, or I call them concentric universes, because they exist around our atoms, but at different um a different matter of frequencies, I suppose, would be the best thing to say because they're constantly compressing and decompressing, which is what Einstein postulated in his classes uh, at Princeton uh, to the students here years ago. Um, anyway, that's I'm, I'm, there's a lot of rabbit holes to dive down, so I didn't want to bore you with all that. When, when did you realize that aliens exist and there is a conspiracy and invasion going on? Probably, oh, let's see. It wasn't long after I went down to, to the Teller Project, I started getting briefings on things about these critters, these strange beings. Um, and over the next few years, uh, I, I was only in the program for a couple of years because it was at the time when our bases, we were being kicked out of our joint bases with the, the uh, fallen ones, the angels, the uh, beings from the parallel universe that had come here. And I think they'd been sentenced here is like a prison almost, but anyway, they, they needed us to build infrastructure for them, and they were willing to give us anti-gravity and a few other trinket uh, physics uh, in return. But in the mid to late 70s, um, we had running battles, battles, plural, with them in these underground bases, and they kicked us out because they had reached a point where they didn't need us to help them build you know, the infrastructure to make the technology they want. They're expecting a war between themselves and not humans, but war between themselves and where they came from, which is the uh, the age-old uh, good and, uh, and evil conflict, uh, Satan and the Messiah from the parallel universe conf having the conflict in the Great Armageddon battle. So they wanted to make those things, and they kicked us out. Um, but that was, I'd say I probably got wind of that first in about 1975, and some of the security detail that was still in the program I met uh, a couple of years later, and they filled me in on a lot of the activities of these uh, these beings. And, uh, you know, the little gray and the tall gray things that people report are really nothing more than uh, soft tissue robots or cyborgs. Uh, they, uh, they basically have little emotion, if any, uh, just like, you know, soft, soft robots that we would build, but they are, you know, self-maintaining and stuff like that. The humanoid forms are certainly a superior form of human being, but from this parallel universe. And they have incredible intellect. Uh, they're slightly taller than us, you know, probably on average about seven foot or so. Um, and my security team told me that when he'd seen, uh, you know, the... The skin on them, when they were when you're up close to them in the sunlight, it looked like an oil film that you'd see on the ground. It has a kind of rainbow shimmer to it. And this was because of their skin on the surface. Their epithelials were actually like scales. 
and so they they diffracted light like a a fine grating would because they were scalar. And uh, I assume that's where the the uh, uh, rumor of reptilian DNA or something came from. And it might well be that way. I don't know. But these people he was talking about were like us, but just smarter and uh, stronger and uh, healthier. So that's when, you know, I started over that period of time there in Australia to get read into some of this stuff. And it caused a bit of trouble with my security guy because I don't know how they found out, but uh, certainly over on the other side of Australia in Canberra, they called him to a meeting there with a couple of generals and told him that if he didn't shut his mouth, he was going to be dead, and so was his family. So it clammed up a bit there. But that's how I found out more about them. Could these be the supermen that the Nazis and Tula Society and and those people were looking for or trying to create back then? Sure. I think it was. And um, they're here. And definitely I think they're going to fulfill biblical prophecy about, as you had in your intro there, about making a fake invasion, a friendly invasion of Earth to save Earth from itself at the height of a nuclear conflict, which might be this year, you know, if the North Korean thing flares up again. It's, it's cooled down for now, but uh, people of Earth are going to want someone that is not a politician and is not some religion or anything like that to come and solve the planet. They won't trust any human, but they will trust our quote-unquote elder brothers from space because they have a technology that's allowed them to survive and travel the universe, they think. But in essence, they've been put on Earth as a, as a prison, for, a temporary prison because of what they did against the ruler of the parallel universe, God. It's, I know it sounds crazy, but that that interface with uh, superhumans is coming, whether it came with, for the Nazis or not, is coming now. I know the Nazis had the, uh, the potential to put in the base under the uh, Antarctic, uh, at the uh, New Schwabenland uh, cave. Um, whether they did or not, I don't know. Um, but I do know that uh, things are rather strange at the South Pole at the moment. Uh, you know, there have been high-ranking diplomats from the United States and from the Catholic Church and various other places that have gone down there, astronauts, uh, who come back changed because of what they've seen. And I just assume that they've probably seen the, the, these people and their technology and realize how far behind Earth is as to what these beings can do. This is, I think, a great deception coming, and uh, it's like the movie V. Did you see that? Yeah, that was uh, late 80s, wasn't it? Kenneth Johnson, uh, the first one was 1977, I think it was, but um, Ken Johnson laid out a story there that had biblical overtones, but it was telling about these reptilians who look like humans who come to Earth and offer us you know, medical cures and technology and stuff in, re- in return for, oh, salt water from the sea because they had a shortage of it in their planet. Well, that's ridiculous. But anyway, they tell a lie to the humans, but then they become like Nazis and start organizing the planet under their control as a dictatorship. And the only thing that beats them is the blood dust, you know, made from distilled blood of a child that was born and died, but it was a product of the reptilian mating with a human uh, woman that produces hybrid. But the blood distillate, they could reproduce it, and uh, releasing that in the air ran the aliens off because if, if, it, if they came into contact with it, it destroyed them. And this is a parallel idea to what the Bible is talking about, the blood of Jesus 
is used to combat the evil and to save souls. And, you know, I know that your program probably doesn't zero in on Christianity or Judaism, but uh, this is what I see and what I believe. Yeah, um, not not specifically, but I wouldn't say that I don't believe these things either at all, because from an early age, I was, uh, I guess you could say, indoctrinated with uh, the idea that we are in the end times and such and such is going on and uh i i don't i don't disbelieve in any of that i suppose the details are a little bit hard to figure out in terms of exactly you know what what aliens they are or is it demons or is it aliens etc cetera, etc cetera. but i definitely believe in what you're saying because i've i've seen it with my own eyes i've seen the triangle craft and hey i think that that thing came from one of these underground bases yes yeah, sadly um our human development of these technologies and other things are being restricted by these overlords because they control most of our countries and the politicians in the, the network. Um, so, you know, if you try to bring something too exotic out that they don't want you to have, which could impact what they're doing, it'll stop or you will, one of the two. It's a time, Daniel, you, you say you were indoctrinated with this stuff about the end of this age. And I, I'm sorry to hear you say indoctrinated, because that implies that you thought they were, you know, shoving it down your throat or telling you something you didn't really want to do that was not normal. But we are in the time of the the end of this age, not the end of the world or anything like that. But in this year, in the next few months, you're going to see, I'm pretty sure, some very astounding things happen, which have been uh, predicted by Daniel the prophet, your namesake Daniel, and. And Jesus, who referred back to him, as Daniel the prophet said, beware of this great deception that will come upon the earth. And right now, people are primed, whether they believe in UFOs or not, when these things make themselves obvious on TV or landing on uh, the earth or parking big mile-wide diameter ships over Arizona or wherever they want to go, people are going to have a hard time you know, saying they don't exist. And when they find out, that, oh, they're friendly, they're not going to kill us, they're going to help, people will say, okay, well, how do we organize you know, the planet, and how do we solve, you know, asteroid impacts going to hit us, and uh, you know, how do we get uh, around the polluting we're doing, and, and how do we grow better? And, and there's going to be answers like that given to them. And in the name of our creators, and they're going to fool people with this great deception. So this is why several of us, many of us, who have been out in the media over the last 20 25 years, 30 years, I guess, have been trying to explain that they are real. Here's what they're about. Don't be fooled. And when we saw that that movie V by you know Kenneth Johnson, I thought, well, this is an incredible teaching tool to show them what can happen and to beware. Um, I've never been able to get a hold of Ken Johnson. I was going to thank him many times for producing that work, but um, I did use his uh, V movie. Uh, there was, I think, two or three of them in the series as a tool to show audiences and say, now look, here is how this parallels what the Bible is talking about in this time, and how easy it is for you to be fooled when you're in strife and you're looking for somebody to solve your problems because you can't, and your leaders can't. Um, so Daniel, if anything tonight, I would encourage you to look at these things again and believe that your help is coming, not these imposters, but the real one. There, there is going to be 
a segment of the population, the believing population, that will be taken from the earth uh, just instantaneously. And I think that day is within months. Yeah, um, part of the reason why I might seem like I have a little bit of a negative attitude towards what was going on and I, I'm sorry, Stan, I can only get so deep into this stuff because I have to protect myself just like you have to. But there was uh, there was certain co- information coming out and there was something else going on that was extremely negative. It was a, a haunting, demonic sort of situation, and it was really throwing a lot of... Uh, it was it was muddying the water, so it was making it hard to figure out what was from the good, what was from the bad, if that kind of makes sense. Yeah, have you ever... Um thought that um, you might have uh, come in contact with a demon or something like that. Oh yeah. <laughs> that was that that was the major problem. Well, Daniel, there are people in uh, not some of these great huge churches, but in some of the smaller uh home study group churches, there are people who can lay hands on you and remove any influence from these things and the the fear and stuff that they put into you so that you can relax and uh, understand what is happening now. Look, Daniel um, it is a it is a an urgent thing for you and uh, many other people that haven't yet signed on totally with what's happening now uh, to do so to put your allegiance solely with the Messiah with Jesus and um, and wait for his return because he's coming for those who realize he's real and he's coming back for him he's promised it in many ways and the book of Daniel is the best prophet. In the Bible, Jesus even said, Daniel the prophet, when the Pharisees and everybody else said, no, oh, Daniel didn't get trained in the, the, you know, the prophecy school or in rabbi school or whatever, so he can't really be trusted. But he said, yeah, what, what he's telling you is correct, because I was there before I was born here, and I was telling him what is going to happen now and in the future. So this is the time, and, and Daniel, I can feel it in your voice. Don't be frightened, because the good Lord will help you if you just ask him sometime when you're by yourself and can do so. And for anyone listening who's in that boat, you will know no fear, and you'll feel the warmth when he does come for you. Um, it will fill you like warm honey. Uh, I've been there and felt that when it happened. But anyway, I, I, I'm digressing. I, I don't want to put you in a, a bad position. Uh, no, no, I, I kind of... This show is... I, I try to be different than the other shows where we're just asking questions and stuff like that. And it's not always easy to do, but I, I absolutely like, uh, you know, a discussion and I, I like to get deep into these things. And I, I really agree with, uh, what you're saying. And another interesting aspect to that that I found is that if you are having some sort of strange negative experience, if you use the words, the blood of Christ, for, for whatever reason, it seems to work. Well, I believe that. I believe that. Look, we've got such an outpouring of dark forces on this planet at the moment that it's a wonder that anybody's still sane. I mean, if you look at the news and the chaos on the planet, people are wondering whether they're going to be alive next year at this time all over the world. They're, they're frightened. And things are going to get worse uh, very, very rapidly. You don't have to be a Bible scholar to see that. Uh, we've got bristling nuclear arms. We've got huge famines. We've got population migrations that are flooding into countries and taxing their resources, and it's just creating conflict all over the planet. We are in for some hard times. Fortunately, the Bible does tell us that this is a period of tribulation that will only be seven years at most. 
and uh, those who um, are believers and followers of Jesus and are looking, it says, looking up for his return for them, will be spared that. And those who have to go through it, who are believers, the kind of, you know, quasi-believers, they kind of, oh yeah, I, I believe the Bible, that kind of stuff, they will go through this tribulation period and many will be uh, killed for their faith if they stick to it. Some will survive, but uh, not a lot. And then uh, they will be risen, uh, you know, and, and judged uh, in the aftermath of the uh, tribulation period. But this is what we're coming to. The geophysics, the uh, astronomical events happening, there are just so many things that all come to a focus this year. Um, I think around September 23rd this year, we're going to see something very interesting. Yeah, I'm I'm definitely looking forward to it. It does seem that it is undeniable that technology is increasing so fast and these conflicts and even as we speak there's this huge racial conflict going on and in my opinion that's there's a good chance that some of this stuff is is some sort of conspiracy meaning different groups are being played against each other to just create chaos. Yeah. Look, you know what the op- the the opposite of order in the universe is is chaos. And you know you don't make order ex you know out of nothing. Um, things have to be organized, and Satan's whole thing is is going against organ uh, organization or order. You know what you're talking about is chaos in our human cultures, and chaos in the weather, and chaos in the astronomical events. But it all comes to an ordered state after the seven-year period, which I'm reasonably certain will start this year. Do you have any idea what the mark of the beast would refer to? Sure. I'm pretty sure it will be um, an electronic ID of some sort, either in the skin uh, or on top of it. I've seen some of the the microcircuits in gold that they make now that can be layered on the skin. And these circuits are passive until you run into a machine like an ATM, a special one, where you can wave your hand and read your bio data and read your ID and all that kind of stuff. But this is being set up, and to be effective at the time we have a global um, economic collapse of the world economy, and we're on the verge of that now. Our share market is so inflated that it's going to collapse. That bubble will bring the whole world economic system down. They're already talking about if you've got cash at home under the mattress, Good luck, because it's going to be worthless. If you got cash in the bank, good luck. We're going to have to change that over to a digital system that you'll use with your personal ID in your body, a biometric ID, because we can stop crime and all the criminals because we'll be able to track their money and stuff. It'll be digital. And people will race, run, rush to that kind of a system where they can say, oh, I'm going to go to Walmart and buy some stuff. And you go to Walmart and you wave your hand uh, past, I don't know, and you pick up... Uh, a grapefruit, you say, oh, that's a grapefruit, I'll have one of those, and put it back down. All right, there's a grapefruit been marked for you and your ID number, and you go and choose all the things you want for today's shopping and go home, and it'll arrive later. Someone will bring it to you, you know, probably an Amazon drone, but anyway, someone will bring it to you, and it'll be charged to your account already, and you don't have to do any of the shopping, and life will be wonderful. wonderful. Um, nobody can steal your money because it is in the system, and you're part of the system. So... The difference between credit cards and that kind of stuff and the mark of the beast is that the the new world order, which will be under the direction of the fallen ones uh, of Satan, the new world order will demand that to get that that ID number that you swear allegiance to the leader. 
and this leader will be the Antichrist. And that's the mark of the beast. Uh, I I believe it, and probably the main reason I do is because I can see how this this PC home PC turned into uh, the iMac, and the iMac turned into the iPhone eventually, and now the iPhones themselves they're turning into the watches and even uh, the glasses, the little glasses you put on, and some some things like that, and they. They even have the capability you can take the watch and you can run it by the reader and you can make a transaction just by swiping your wrist against the little reader and, and that sounds very similar to the to the things sure. about the yeah the, the mark on the wrist or the forehead that's you know it's in the right place at least well until you are put into a global economic digital system until you have to do that to survive to own property or earn money or whatever until that moment um, you know, it's okay. These things are technology that are being developed to help the human condition. Sadly, though, who controls this is the wild card. And we know that uh, there will be this conflict, this deception in the last days. And people who own a lot of stuff or make a lot of money are not going to want to give it up just to follow some biblical directive about, oh, don't take the market of beast that you can't buy or sell. They say, oh, that's rubbish. i, I, I got to keep my house and all my gold and shares and whatever. It'll be very easy for them to take the mark and to swear allegiance. And that's the great trick, the, the great deception. Um, I, you know, I, I don't want people to go through that. And, and, and Jesus, the good Lord, doesn't either. That's why he put all this stuff into Daniel and in the book of the Revelation of John uh, to help people to avoid this and to avoid the judgment that's going to fall on the earth because of Satan. And he's going to be judged as well, but he's going to treat us like like fodder underfoot for those of us that are still here on the planet. Daniel, in Daniel 11, I, I analyzed four verses, sorry, eight verses in that. And I, I went to great lengths and translated the words uh, to show what Daniel actually said instead of just the King James translation. I put that in the back of the Cosmic Conspiracy book, um, I think it was in the 2010 edition, about the Great Deception, and I explained those things word by word. And it does show that Satan is coming to appoint a world leader, and that he is this uh, uh, Satan and his minions that come with him are going to treat the humans like cattle and fodder, food. It does say food, and it was just like in the, in the movie V where the, they ate the humans. Uh, we are going to be like broken clay pieces underfoot. They're just going to uh, trample us. And it says this in, in Daniel, in the ancient Hebrew. Um, so we've been given a, a good news thing, really, to say, look, you can avoid this and get out of it. Just wait for me. Look up for my coming. And, you know, I will be there. I will take you and deliver you from this time of tribulation. So that's the good news. And that's why those of us who understand that and have been able to translate that and share with each other are not you know, panic-stricken uh, about the, the situation. We look at it and say, yeah, yeah, we're getting close to the moment. And understand this also, this rapture business where the church is caught up, the believing, looking up church, is also accounted for in the great theosophical societies of the world that are not Christian, they are theosophical. And I've debated with uh, one of the members from Finhorn in a group, and uh, he said, yeah, we know that there's going to be a lift off of a bunch of people here at the end of this age, but it will be those whose vibrations aren't in, in sync with what the world has to, to become, you know, to progress. So they will be caught up and taken to some other planet to learn their, 
lesson again and then uh, eventually rejoin the human race. So they're allowing for this rapture, and they're going to explain it away for the people that are still here after the, the church is taken. And by the way, I hope I'm in that, but it says pray constantly, daily, that you're found worthy to be part of that group that's taken off to safety. So no one can say, oh, I'm going to go, I'm, I'm there. You just pray and hope you are found worthy somehow to be in that group because you don't want to be what's in the tribulation. That's really interesting what you said a moment ago about the book of Daniel and the stuff about eating people because a, a major part of this uh, this reptilian alien, the literature and the stuff out there is that they they eat human beings and a lot of people actually go missing every year and a lot of it happens in a major national forest and, and things like that that might be close to some of these bases. I've wondered about that too. I mean, you know, I, I certainly have. I agree with what you're saying. Uh, I, I look when I when I found this information, it, it took me like a month or two to, to do the whole translation of just uh, these um, uh, eight verses. But one of the things related back to the Book of Enoch, where the giants on the earth uh, turned on humans, and this was before the flood, and started eating humans, and they were human hybrids with the fallen ones who had that reptilian DNA. And I think the Garden of Eden story about the snake and, or the reptile that you know had to crawl on his belly after that was talking about a reptilian who tempted Eve. Uh, and so, you know, these old books do say the same thing. They, they like to eat humans. And I, I think we will see hybrids of humans and animals like the Egyptians show, you know, Set and uh, all these things with the bird head and... Um, you know, in India, the snake bodies and uh, on a human uh, torso. These things are hybrids and chimeras that I think probably were created before the flood in what was in, in this part of the world, or sorry, in the Middle East, in, in uh, Atlantis, which was Saudi Arabia or all the Arabian Peninsula. Did you ever see that video I've got up on my video uh, channel about Atlantis? Uh, no, I'm going to have to check that out, though. Oh, yeah, look, Standeo channel, go like that onto YouTube. I forget the exact link, or go to our homepage at standeo.com and click on the YouTube channel, uh, you know, the symbol we've got for my site. And it's um, a live lecture that I did um, that was recorded in 2016 here in Colorado Springs where I explained and proved where Atlantis was and is and how power is returning to that area through the, the Saudi royal family, through... Um, Mohammed bin Salman, uh, which, strangely enough, his initials are M-B-S, Mohammed bin Salman, which Nostradamus said would be you know, part of the name of the Antichrist of this age. Um, and he said, uh, Nostradamus said his name will be Mabus, M-A-B-U-S. Okay, you got three consonants, M-B-S. And this young fellow, uh, this prince bin Salman, has formed a 34-nation alliance of Arab nations and he's called it the Arabic Union. So you've got AU to fit in with MBS, and it forms Mabus. So, and, and in the Bible, in Revelation 13, it talks about, here's a secret, here's wisdom. The name of the beast is the name of a, is the number of a man, 666. Okay, what do you think? All right, I'm looking for 666. Go back in the Bible to decode that, and it's Solomon's gold that he earned every year, or that he collected every year, 666 talents of gold. Solomon was the wisest man in history. Okay, it's telling you that the name of the Antichrist, even in the Bible, will be a derivative of Solomon. And in the Middle East, uh, 
the family of this ruling Saudi Arabia is Salman, S-A-L-M-A-N, in Turkey. We have a, a dictator there now, uh, Erdogan, who reveres the great Caliph uh, uh, Suleiman, Solomon. So all through the Middle East, they revere a Solomon, but it's really a Suleiman who came a couple of hundred years before the biblical King Solomon because his name was Shlomo, not Solomon. The, the change in the name occurred when the cultures mixed over there and the Arabic legends of the the first King um, uh, Suleiman uh, generated uh, the Syrian Empire, the Assyrian Empire. Anyway, it's, I, I digress. I, I told you I'd be falling down rabbit holes here. I'm sorry. <laughs> well, there there is, uh, you know, from what very, very little that I know about the Islamic religion. I know that there's a character called the Dajjal that is supposed to be like an, an antichrist or a beast type of character. Yep. I know about that, too. I think some of the writing in the in, in their uh, prophetic writings talks about a thing being put at the end of each street where they would uh, have their money, they, they would control their money like a like an ATM type thing. Um, oh, and young Prince Mohammed bin Salman is in one of the banks, the Saudi banks. It's an international bank over on the in Jeddah. Uh, they're forming a, a global currency exchange thing based on the blockchain, and this is going to keep a record of every you know object that is bought or sold, who owned it first, who they transferred it to, and everything. This is going to be part of the global economic system, and he's setting that up now. I know people say that the Antichrist has got to be some European guy or something like that, but there's a strong argument that says he will be a Muslim and he'll be a, an Arab. And uh, the the false prophet or the second beast that follows him will certainly probably be from Turkey or that area there, Greece, somewhere in that area. But the first guy who does try to attack and destroy Israel with an Arab uh, consortium, it looks like it's going to be young Prince Salman. Very interesting. And one one event that I absolutely believe is a conspiracy, it might be because I'm just really into this type of stuff, but 9-11, it seems to me like that gave Big Brother or the Control Grid, Illuminati, whatever you want to call it, it gave them all the cards they needed because after that, they could completely invade our privacy with the Homeland Security Act. Uh, what do you think about that? Well, I'm, uh, you know, I agree, and we know that the Saudis had uh, a connection to that. Even some of the papers that were leaked uh, from the White House, uh, they funded a lot of terrorism, and, and they apparently funded some of the guys that were involved in the 9/11 uh, impacts there at the trade at the trade towers. But um, yeah, any major threat like that gives the government a chance to say to the people, we need to protect you. Okay, please do, I'm afraid. So the next false flag event we have here in this country, or maybe some countries in Europe or whatever, is going to make people cry out and say, look, save us, help us. Well, okay, we need to take a little more of your personal freedom just for your protection so we can catch the bad guys. Oh, okay. And that's where they're, they're headed. Um, this This globalist government being formed will be the puppet of Satan. And I, I got news for most of the guys that are in that. Once they have set up the New World Order and Satan has his man in charge of it, there are going to be a lot of new guys brought in to rule the planet under him. And the 
the Illuminati, if you wish, a lot of them, if not all of them, are going to be killed because, or you know, prepared on the dinner table or whatever. They are going to be got rid of because they were traitors to humans. And you know, the, the conqueror of a nation, the first thing he does is kill all the traitors who were informing on their people. So this is what's going to happen. The Illuminati are going to go, and, and there are going to be a lot of us. I mean, I would have been there, too, if I didn't know better. I'd say, right, this new world government has gotten rid of the Illuminati. They're being imprisoned or killed or whatever. They deserve it, you know. And we're going to be tickled to death that somebody's come in and put order to the planet and, you know, made the rules stick. So that's... I just find it so hard to believe that it's all coincidental that this event like 9-11 happens right when we're on the cusp of all of this smartphone technology. And now strange things seem to be going on with my phone. Sometimes I'll hear clicks or voices or even weird oscillating high frequency sounds coming from it. It's very strange. Well, I don't know what are, what those are. Uh, they might be certainly part of the monitoring, but they might also be part of the changes that are occurring in the um, Schumann resonance and various other factors that are electromagnetic or magnetic uh, pulse waves in the, in the human or Earth environment. Um, our sun has been misbehaving, according to what people thought, from 1992 onward, emitting new frequencies of ultraviolet, and uh, it it's giving an indication that it's going to approach a red giant stage uh, in less than 2,000 years, which is not supposed to happen for hundreds of millions. So I'm telling you there are some things happening. The frequencies coming from the sun are affecting us directly, and they might affect what you hear on the phones. Um, we know that EMP-type events can occur uh, from solar flares and coronal mass ejections that hit us straight on. If that happens, the phone won't work anymore anyway. Neither will your computers, and you'll have to. Um... But that's an interesting point. You know, when you think about that, if the Antichrist is going to use some kind of a device, so that you know you have to use that device to buy or sell electronic thing hooked into the supercomputer, their stuff must be hardened against EMP uh, and all the little uh, devices that will read your your ID must be hardened against an EMP because otherwise they wouldn't work. And we know that there are EMPs coming from the sun and possibly from nuclear war. Yeah, absolutely. And that is a good point that you make because there is so much technology stuffed inside of these devices. I'm, I'm sure it's easy for them to pick up stray energies and frequencies. Yeah, today we live in a, a just a horrendous amount of electromagnetic frequencies all around us from all kinds of devices and towers and things uh, for all these electronic benefits we, we enjoy. Uh, I've often wondered if we could see all the frequencies around us, would we be panicked by all the stuff that's bombarding us all the time? Yeah, a another point of contention I have with these people in charge is it, it does seem like they're trying to dumb us down a little bit. In my opinion, the schools aren't very good, and, and the, for the most part, the food that's out there, it's not very good. And it, it seems to me like we're slowly kind of not only being dumbed down, but our physical bodies are being poisoned. Well, of course. I mean, we're depleting uh, the basic element mix in our body by, you know, overworking the land and by using various things that Monsanto puts on our, our crops. And with genetic engineering, you just don't get the normal healthy diet. Uh, yeah, it's weakening us. It's uh, making us more submissive. I mean, you, you got to wonder about things like fluoride in the water. Is that um, 
really what they they're, they're telling us in the conspiracy circles that it uh, it alters your brain so that you're more submissive like a prison of war type thing i don't know uh, i filter my water but it doesn't get rid of all the fluoride if there's any in there but still these things have been thought about and discussed for gosh the last 30 40 years and long before there even was a homeland security act or any of that stuff was even being talked about to my knowledge anyways I remember when I was a kid watching shows like 48 Hours and Dateline or, or whatever it was that was on at the time, and they were talking about something called Project Echelon, where even then they were already monitoring every single phone call that's going on out there. I think the Israelis gave them that technology, didn't they? Very possible. I, I seem to think they were connected with Echelon. doesn't matter anyway. We're we're a global community now, then things go this way and that way. Um. Eh, there are a number of countries, including Israel, that have what they're called smart cities now then. And the cities are those kind of ID cities where you you live in that community and all your utilities and your income and everything else is all digital. And, uh, you know, you have the, the ID chip to uh, to use it, uh, you know, for uh, commerce and things like that. I was sad to see that happen. Um, I even talked to one of the guys that helped uh, Israel uh, design their first smart city. Uh, it, I'm not in favor, uh, I am in favor, sorry, of a world government under a, a righteous, perfect being, but there aren't any on the earth. We're all, uh, you know, subject to sickness and to mental disabilities and whatever else. So when we turn a global system over to an individual, we bring the individual's you know, baggage and his physical health with it. Um, it's hard to, to fight, you know, the concept and say to people, a world order, a global currency and that kind of stuff is bad. It's not that that's bad. It's who's going to be running it that's bad. We need a good guy running it. That's why the Messiah will be the one that uh, eventually runs a, a perfect planet. And Stan, one thing that, one thing initially about you that was almost, terrifying on some level is the fact that your experience and the things you write and talk about you're confirming the experience in in a way of phil schneider who talked about the the battles uh, underground the battles happening underground bases and he was actually physically hurt and mutilated in those battles and and then he was killed yeah that's really scary i'm not worried about that you're not worried about that at all no not at all I don't worry about my phones being bugged or emails being checked or anything else. I know that what I'm doing is right uh, in my worldview. And um, having, you know, nearly died in 1969 from a bacterial infection, I left my body for a time and I went out and and, uh, sampled the out-of-body experience and uh, learned a lot there. And one of the main things was uh, what a great peaceful feeling uh, your existence outside the body is. So I don't, you know, I don't particularly want to have gruesome forms of leaving this world, but I know that it's a, a transition from this into a much better place. And being that you're somebody that knows about knows about the, what's going on in the world and also somebody that is very knowledgeable about computer technology, what do you think of the idea of artificial intelligence? Are we going to ever reach it before all of this stuff goes down? Or could it even play some sort of role in the events that are going to play out? 
We've got AI now. Uh, there are enough uh, big supercomputers that aren't even on the the public uh, screen at the moment. Um, they're bigger, more remote than the ones over in Utah at the center there. Um, I'm familiar with what artificial intelligence entails. And um, the problem is, is you create a, a digital being without a soul, without... Uh, emotion, unless you give it artificial emotion, I guess you can do that. But uh, this thing is built upon many, many sub-modules, sub-programs made by other people and people of differing worldviews. And so there's going to be little bitty decisions made by the AI in certain circumstances, which will be in conflict with its programming from one module to the other. And, you know, it is such a complex uh, construct that it will lead to the AI failing or doing something that it shouldn't, and nobody's happy about. Did you ever see the movie Colossus: The Forbin Project? No. See if you can find it in your uh, video store or online or whatever. Colossus: The Forbin Project, where they build an AI computer, and this was made back twenty, thirty years ago. And is it spooky? Um, you see, humans our brains work on a continuous recycling, like a circulating loop of currents and frequencies, uh, constantly circulating through our neurons uh, in, the, you know, in the brain. Um, when a person dies, it breaks the circuit and their body is left behind. But when a person dies, uh, we've seen uh, and uh, talked to people who have seen this rather, when people die, um, quite frequently there will be a ball of light pop out of their chest as they breathe their last. And that will be that heuristic, continuous circuit that's been in their brain all this time, leaving the body to go, I don't know, trans-dimensional or trans-universe, something. But, um, you know, I've, I've talked to family, friends, doctors, and stuff like that, uh, one in, in, uh, in uh, Bangkok. And uh, uh, this guy actually, this doctor actually paid the family of an old beggar to let them put him in a glass uh, cage. Uh, he was laying on it, on a bed in there. He was going to die. And they paid the family to let them watch him die in this glass cage so they could weigh it and weigh the soul that left the body. And uh, Dr. Jonathan, he said, uh, uh, he and his partner, uh, doctor, uh, put the man in there and they waited for him to breathe his last. And when he did die, uh, within seconds, a ball of light popped out of his chest and bounced around inside this glass cage, and then the glass cage exploded, and the ball was gone, the man was dead. And we've heard reports, in fact, I talked to one lady over in the Philippines who watched her sister die, a cancer patient, and as she died, the ball of light came out of her mouth, and she was dead. So that that continuous heuristic loop is what separates us from the AI. You know, we... Our soul, our emotions uh, are all encapsulated in that incredibly complex circulating. It's like a flux capacitor with multi-frequencies in it. It's just amazing. I, I, I marvel when I think about it. And these these beings, these humanoid aliens that seem to be at least rather high up the hierarchy in these dark forces, is there any possibility that these could be the Anunnaki, it seems like there's some kind of connection here. Well, I, you know, I suppose it could be. Um, I'm not sure that I think the translation was correct about the Anunnaki. 
Um, however, it could be. It is, it, there are other scholars who uh, have different opinions about the translation of those documents. So I think there's only about 12 people in the world right now that are qualified to read and translate the documents. So they are having disagreements about whether the Anunnaki is what it meant or not. Um, I somehow don't think that uh, the beings that came here were just um, on a planet coming by and dropped off when it was close to enslave mankind to, to mine gold or something. Um, you know, I, I think it's a little bit bigger than that. It's it's in a parallel universe. So yeah, anyway, that, that does I, make I'm sense. Just I, I, sure. I don't know. I don't know how to translate that. So yeah, that does make sense <laughs> to me because uh, you know, as much of a fan of that stuff as I am, it has always seemed a little simplistic that the aliens yeah. are just here for gold. I mean, look what's going on. It's obviously much more complex. There's some huge spiritual story going on. It's more complex than we need gold to fix our atmosphere. <laughs> Gosh, Sitchin made books on it and made money, I guess, but. No, I, I don't believe his uh, thing, uh, how he translated it. Um, um, the, uh, when, I, when I talked to uh, some people in Africa and Tanzania, I got the name of a tribe up north of the Ngoro Crater, which, which is where the Garden of Eden is. And they, their legends from oh, several thousand years ago say that God came down from the sky into the Ngoro Crater, created man and woman, put them outside the crater, and then God left from the crater, went up into the heavens, and was gone. Um, you know, basically, that's kind of what the Bible says. Uh, in the days of Noah, for in well, the days of, of, of Noah and of uh, Adam, God walked in the cool of the day with Adam and Eve in the garden and, and uh, talked, and, you know, they touched each other and, and uh, sampled fruit and that kind of stuff. So it was... Uh, a god that was at our level and could touch us. The, the difference in the energy was such that it didn't hurt Adam. And Noah walked with God and learned how to build the ark he needed to over the hundred and some odd years that it took him to build it. And uh, then you get to the after the flood to the time of Moses. Now Moses is appearing up. He's up on the, the uh, Mount Sinai, and he sees the burning bush and he wants to talk to God. Well, God tells him approach, but slip off your sandals and slide your feet. Don't lift your feet. Slide them in the dirt to come see me because, of course, the charge density changed within a footstep. And uh, after a bit of talking with God, Moses says, well, look, I'm just talking to this voice. Uh, you know, can I see you? And God says at this time, he says, you know, Moses, it'd be nice, but if I were to appear before you in my body now, the energy and the light coming from it would destroy you. It's so intense but I will project my image up on this cloud after you hide here in this cleft in the, the mountaintop here between these ledges so that you're not hurt by what I project up onto the cloud. And he projected his image up. But the lesson of that is, in the time of Adam and of Noah, God's energy density was not so disparate with our own that he could not walk and talk and uh, touch us. But after the flood and after things changed, uh, the difference in the energy level of our cells on Earth with where he comes from in this parallel universe were so great that it would destroy us. Remember when Jesus told uh, Mary in the garden that when he was raised from the dead, you know, from the tomb, Mary comes running up and says, oh, Master, Master, you know, and reaches out to give him a hug, and he says, no, don't touch me, for I have not yet ascended. He was being energized to go somewhere and do something. 
and you know you would take energy from him or it might hurt her i'm not sure which way it was but even before he was crucified he he had a woman touch his robe and it healed her of this uh, like you know menstrual problem she had and he turned around and looked at her and he said i felt the energy flow from my from me you know what have you done and and he said well you know you, uh, he blessed her and uh, and she was healed but this energy is a big deal and you know there's just so much to learn uh, so much to learn i wish i could know a lot more but anyway as i said i've gone down several rabbit holes for you i'm sorry <laughs> <laughs> no worries I, I find myself doing the same thing and it never really seems to end but my next question is how about since we're talking a little bit about anunnaki and things like that i know in revelations they talk about signs like uh, specifically what i'm wondering about are signs in the sky could there be a passing of a planetoid like nibiru or wormwood or something like that happening well part of the signs uh, in the sky you know there god put them there for a message board for us that couldn't be altered by humans or by satan himself it's in the constellations it's in the sun and the moon and their orbital uh, periods and stuff Eclipses, uh, total solar eclipses fit into this you know, at a specific time in relation to Israel. What we have coming now is the, the uh, alignment of three planets with the nine stars of Leo, the, form, the constellation, which is just above the head of the Virgo uh, constellation, which represents Israel. And there, it is a distinct sign that only occurred, there was one that occurred around um, oh, 2 BC in the middle of the year, and another one about um, 30, I think it's 3800 B.C., I forget now the exact date. But other than that, this particular arrangement of stars, planets, and uh, the moon next to Virgo and Leo has not occurred. There's just three times. The third time is coming uh, in September the 23rd of this year, uh, Israel time. And the last one was when around the time that Jesus was born. Uh, you know, within a few months, if not on the day, I'm not sure. It's what the wise men followed was a sign in the heavens. Now, as far as an object, we know that there is a comet 67P, which is going to appear, uh, it is appearing in the Virgo-Leo constellation uh, spoken of in, in Revelation 12, uh, the woman with a crown of 12 stars and that kind of stuff. There's a lot of this stuff about this on the Internet you can look up, but um, that's a comet. And it's uh, one of the Jupiter or, or Jovian comets. Um, and there are others, a lot of others floating around here. Some of them, uh, you know, comets per se, we can usually see because they reflect sunlight. But there are a lot of dark bodies that we can't see, uh, possibly in infrared, but uh, not always. And some of them have such strange orbits that they don't follow like planetary planes or ecliptic plane orbits. They dive up and out and down back into the ecliptic plane. And those are harder for us to detect, depending on which side of the, the you know, the, the ecliptic plane, whether north or south of our planet. So is there a planet coming? I don't know. I did the calculations on where it would, uh, you know, what its orbital period would be. And if it is in the inner planet system, the inner small planet systems here now, that if it enters, it will leave within 11 years, uh, in a 3,610-year orbit, something like that, to what I calculated. And its mean orbital diameter would be about 75 times the distance of Earth from the sun, 75 AU. 
uh, I don't know if there were such a thing, a rogue um, planet in the system and detected by, you know, our scientific communities. I don't know whether they would, in wisdom, you know, tell the people about it. Uh, what I don't understand is why more uh, amateur astronomers haven't seen something like this if it is that close. Um, I don't know. It's possible, but um, I'm still kind of undecided about it. And in regards to what we were talking about earlier, the potential of danger looking into the stuff, dealing with it, something, in my opinion, there's there has to be something there that is protecting certain individuals. Otherwise, why wouldn't the aliens with their technology or the demonic beings, why wouldn't they just go ahead and kill people that could be a threat? Uh, do you believe that there's such a thing as guardian angels? Oh, yeah, definitely. The good Lord said he put angels uh, for the believers to help them along their path, to keep them from stumbling, you know, to help them through the, the hard times. And uh, strangely enough, when I pray daily, I do ask the Lord to uh, reward those uh, angels he assigned to me, you know, and share my blessings with him because of the job they're doing. They've, they've kept me out of a lot of trouble and kept me alive in some situations where I should have died. But, um, yeah, I, I believe they're there. And uh, I think that certainly people who are, uh, have a strong prayer life uh, and keep touch with the Lord every day will be protected if they're doing, you know, the Lord's work. And we're running out of time uh, for that good news to be spread because we're entering the time of the tribulation. Um, and whether we're, there's a rapture that takes us out or whether we're into the tribulation and beheaded for our faith, one way or another, the Christian witness is going to take a big hit in the next few years. Um, so I don't I don't know uh, how the Lord did. Well, uh, yeah, I do. Let me tell you something. Years ago, before he went to the project down in Australia, I was out hunting with a friend, and we had uh, um, six shooters down in Texas. And we were going to go rabbit hunting out uh, in, a, in a, you know, a little you know, paddock or field uh, not far from the house there in Mesquite. And um, we had practiced the night before fooling around, cocking them and drawing them and seeing how fast we could draw and cock it and, uh, with, with no ammunition in there and no, uh, what do you call it, dummy shells. So unknowingly, I had broken the spring on my firing pin, and it was the firing pin was hanging out just a little bit from the, the uh, beneath the hammer. So that when we went out and we saw the first rabbit, he says, who's going to get it first? And we both reached for our weapons, and I hit my weapon with my thumb to cock it as I was pulling it out. And it, as the cylinder turned, it discharged the, the bullet, and half of it went you know, into the ground. The other half it went into my uh, thigh and cut my popliteal artery behind the, the knee and went into 18 inches bullet hole in my, my shin. Uh, which didn't hurt. It just gave me a cold shudder, but uh, I was bleeding profusely, and so my friend Jim took me to the hospital in a small town, Mesquite. It was a one-story hospital run by the, the Perung brothers, you know, friends. And and uh, Dr. Perung said to me, he says, oh, what have you done? I said, oh, here's what happened. He said, oh, well, I said, are you going to cut it out or am I going to lose a leg? And he says, nah, look, we'll leave you here overnight and see how it is in the morning. We'll decide what to do with it, but you know, your leg is very swollen, and it's uh, it's a mess down there. It's hit the nerves. and So he put me in a room. About 8 o'clock, visitors all were rushed out and, you know, put out of the hospital. It's now a time for the patients to sleep. 
And so I'm there in my room, and uh, it's, uh, uh, you know, I was feeling sorry for myself and whatever, just sitting there thinking about it. And this uh, young nurse appeared at the door, and she says, oh, it's time for your uh, the, the salve we're going to put on your back. And I said, okay, I don't know how that's going to help. So she helped me turn over on my stomach, started rubbing this salve on my back, and it felt really warm and relaxing. And I thought... Well, that's nice. I said, look, I'll give you 100 years to stop that. And then she didn't answer. And I turned to the side and looked, and the tube was gone. She was gone. So I went to sleep. Next morning, Dr. Prun comes in about 8 for the, the morning rounds, and he and his nurses come in, and he says, wow, what did you do? And I said, what do you mean? He said, well, look how fast this is healing. He said, we don't have to do anything. We're going to tape you up and send you home. And I said, yeah. Well, it was that that uh, that. Uh, pretty nurse you sent him with that, that uh, back salve that uh, made me feel much better. And he said, what nurse? What salve? And we called in the duty nurse. Was, she was still there from the night before. And he said, was there anybody in the hallway who had any nurses in, on duty other than you? And what's her name? And he said, no. And she says, no. And I said, well, it was. she was there. She had kind of reddish hair, ginger hair, and kind of a, I don't know, an accent, like a European, Germanish accent or something like that. I'm not sure. And he was amazed by it. And uh, you know, I didn't lose the leg. I was able to run, you know, cross country and stuff after that. And so I'm thinking that was probably an angel that had nanites in her cream or something to put on my back. And, uh, you know, uh, people look at me today and they say, you're 72. Good Lord, you look a lot younger. And I often wonder if that's not the the, uh, the angels that he sent taking care of me. And Stan, this next question, I, I can't imagine it's, going to be answerable but in terms of well the reason why this might be an unanswerable because it's not a question really of time but of what's actually happening but is there any sort of timeline that you might be able to give us of when things might get really bad well in my opinion I'm, you know I, i'm basing this on a number of things and prophecy and current events that we already know about i'm thinking that between now and the end of the year early first quarter next year, sometime in that period of time, we're going to see things in the world change drastically. They have to in the Middle East. They they have to in this country. They have to in Europe. Uh, the Muslim invasion of the world at the moment is forcing this. And uh, so I, I'm telling people in most of the shows I'm doing now, it's time for you to get prepared physically with what you need to get through various conditions that are coming and earthquakes and volcanoes and war and uh, your disease and economic collapse, get your home uh, organized for that so you can you know endure it. And then your spiritual uh, preparation, which is when you die, which may be sooner than you think, due to a variety of things that uh, are on the, the agenda for, for the world. Um, there was a Christian fellow that was an Air Force officer here at Space Command in Colorado Springs that uh, Holly and I visited once. And he was telling us about, you know, how many objects they track and, you know, how dire the situation is because they can't track everything that they know is probably out there that could hit us. Um, and I know the Bible does say that a star called Wormwood will fall in the ocean and, you know, kill the uh, third of the fish and whatever, and that the sun will go bright like seven times the light of day in the ultraviolet spectrum, and it will burn the trees and boil fish in the surface of the water. And, these are things that are not pleasant, and the meteor that broke up over Russia here not long ago, it was like an atom bomb, 
tells you that we're still not immune to uh, strike from asteroids or meteors. So I think we're people ought to be getting their act together right now. Uh, it might be measured in weeks, it might be in months, but I don't think it's in years. All right. And we are approaching the end of the interview, but I did want to go ahead and open things up one more time. Stan, if you'd like to get on the soapbox one more time and say anything that you'd like to my listeners, and feel free to go ahead and follow that up with anything at all that you would like to plug. Oh, gosh. <laughs> I feel talked out. Um, you know, I, I would suggest that um, it, it, for those that want to keep a track on what world events are happening, um, that affect or could affect their well-being, go to our website, uh, standeo.com, S-T-A-N-D-E-Y-O.com. Uh, Holly updates that during the week, five days a week, uh, selecting stories that are uh, potentially fulfilling prophecy, but also things that you need to be aware of and get prepared to handle, whether it be political or geophysical or whatever. And whenever we have important things to share with people, we put it on that website. And, uh, you know, other than that, that's, that's basically our, our newsletter, if you wish, to the, to the people out there that, that are interested. We try to help people, and she's got a link up there to our what's called daretoprepare.com site. And that's a lot of just free information on things you need to, to look at to prepare your family or your business for what is coming. Um, and... You know, we list a whole lot of uh, suppliers of various things that people might need there, so you can check them out on their websites. We're not selling any of that stuff, but this is all for your benefit, and hopefully we'll get this energy system working uh, safely enough that uh, we can put that up there uh, fairly soon. We're, uh, we've got a GoFundMe site, uh, you know, Stan Dale's research site, something like that. You can link to it off of our website, but... People are donating to that, which is fine, and uh, hopefully we will be able to be worthy of their their support fairly shortly. All right, and I would like to just give you a big thank you, Stan, for joining me once again on this program, and of course, I'd definitely like to talk to you again in the future if we're still around. Of course, Daniel, and you know, I hope that uh, this has allayed some of your fears, and uh, don't worry about people bugging you and all that kind of stuff just get on with the positive things and, and help people to understand what what the time is and that the salvation is through our messiah sure and uh perhaps in the future we could uh have a private conversation and i could get into things into my personal things a little bit more sure sure yeah not on air but yeah sure okay awesome uh, until then uh you have a very good night stan you too daniel Pleasure talking to you. Good night, now. Good night. And that was Stan Deho. Deho? Oh, man, it's so good talking to him. It just really takes me back to that place that I was in when I originally started this program and decided to call this End of Days Radio. Sometimes I realize suddenly that I may have talked myself out of the understanding and knowledge of certain things simply because it is a little bit hard for me to handle. I've, I've come across a lot of truth and sometimes it's just easier for me to not think about certain things, to not fully believe in certain things. Because if I do, then, then I start talking like this, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? It's just, 
it's a little hard to handle sometimes. If it's if you're just like a lot of you guys, you're looking at this very objectively. It's entertainment to you. It's entertainment to you because you don't believe it. You believe in things that Carl Sagan told you. You believe in things that school told you, your parents, et cetera, et cetera, for whatever reason. But when you see enough evidence, when things happen to you, when you see triangle craft and you have firsthand evidence of what some somebody's talking about and <laughs> certain things hit you, it, it's, it's not easy to deal with. And I've, I've had my struggles. I've had my struggles because it is a great burden knowing certain things. But anyways, we can talk about this after the break. I'm going to come back and there are quite a few things to talk about. We've been broadcasting since what? Six o'clock today. So I've been on air for quite a while. I'm not going to stop. There are, there's plenty, excuse me. There's plenty more to talk about. So let's go ahead and take a break. I'll put on a little bit more Alice in Wonderland and we'll be back here in about five, 10 minutes. Hello and welcome back to the end of days. I am your host, Daniel, host of End of Days Radio, host and somebody who's feeling rather, rather um, out of sorts, I suppose you could say. It's just that, like I was saying before the break, when you are forced to confront certain things, it's not always easy. And there's a lot more I could say. There's, there's a lot of stuff that I can't share with you guys. I've shared so much and and I've shared even more with some of you privately and personally, but there are still things there that I have not told anybody. I, I, I can't for, for reasons of safety. I can't do it. I can't, I would like to so much. I would, I would love to have something interesting to say right now or at any point, but I just can't, I can't do it. I, like I said, sometimes it's easier for me to just think of it like a party and not take it all that seriously. I mean, there are so many cases of fraud and stuff like that, and and sometimes it's easier to just start thinking that everything is like that. So many, so many people out there, they don't believe anything you tell them about aliens or UFOs or ghosts or anything like that. They Their minds just are not open to it at all. I have several friends like that, people that I've tried to talk to, and you try to talk to them about certain stuff, and they say, oh, Daniel, you're weird. What are you talking about? That's not true. That's religion. That's your belief. That's insanity. It's schizophrenia. <laughs> so many people will say things like that. Meanwhile, they don't know. They don't know. They're just repeating what they've been told like everybody else does. Nobody knows. So many people will attack you for believing in different things and believing in things like magic and conspiracy and things like that. You can't let those people bully you. You can't. They will use your embarrassment against you. They will use your embarrassment and your humiliation against you to push your mind back down to that little box. They'll push you down into that little box and you will stay there. Because you're so afraid of what people think. You're so afraid of being labeled. That's what it is, right? Nobody wants to be labeled this way or that way. A lot of people 
they don't even want to say who they voted for. I voted for Donald Trump. And that's probably rubbing a lot of people the wrong way right now. But I'm not keeping it a secret. Why would I hide it? Why why would I do that? I mean, am I all raw, raw Trump like I was during the election? No, I've had a dose of reality. I know that Trump isn't going after the Illuminati or anything like that. But I do see him working hard. And I don't believe he's racist or anything like that. I see a man working hard. I don't think he's a bad guy. Every story I've heard about our president, every story I've heard about Donald Trump has been positive. People that worked with him in the WWE, people that just ran into the guy and he was so down to earth and so nice to them. And he treats everybody with respect. The guy at the top and the guy at the bottom. He treats them the same way. I'm not saying that anybody out there should suddenly become a Republican or anything like that. You should align with whatever you want. I'm not a Republican. I'm not a conservative. There are conservative views that I have. I believe in the right to bear arms. I believe that the economy is important. Things like abortion. uh, I'm sorry, but I'm a little bit more liberal in that area. I think that... There are many cases where abortion is appropriate. I don't think you should bring a child into an awful world, especially when we're in the end of days, of course. Think about what you're setting them up for. (laughs) Have a child, and then they grow up, and by the time they're a teenager, all hell has broken loose. Who knows how it's going to play out. A lot of you out there, you think that you know everything. (laughs) You think that you have it all figured out. You think that people that believe things that are strange to you are idiots. Because, look, a person is not an idiot because they don't believe in what you believe in. That doesn't make them an idiot. That just makes them different than you. A person isn't stupid or an idiot because they don't agree with you. I guarantee you, I don't care how smart you think you are, there are people that are... There's people that believe in the Hindu religion, and believe in Ganesh and stuff like that, and they would run circles around you intellectually. It's not about smarts. So you shouldn't call people dumb or idiots because they believe something that's different than what you believe. And if you are doing that, I hate to say this, I'm not trying to be mean, but you're the one being a little judgmental and a little bit of a bigot because you want to call people names, you want to make fun of them, you want to leave your nasty comments on YouTube and 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 tell tell my guests how stupid they are and how stupid I am and what a bad host I am. Look, I don't care if I'm a good host or not. It's not about that. You think I'm trying to start some kind of freaking radio career or that I'm trying to... You, you think that I'm looking for that. And the reason why you think that is because that's what you're looking for. You're trying to get over. You want to be famous. You want to be on TV or the radio or something. And you think that I think the same way as you. Look, I don't care about any of that. None of that will ever make me happy. Money, fame, any of that bullshit. This is real talk. And none of that stuff ever will make you happy. It's an illusion. You're addicted to it. Because you love it. That's why you believe what you do. Because you love it. Because you love, you love the way things are. 
Maybe you've been tricked into loving it, but you still love it. Anyways, enough of this. It's just funny, though. It's funny, though, some of the things people say, especially on YouTube. It's never the hardcore fan base. It's never the people that listen to every episode and actually follow the show. It's the flyby people that just come through and they listen to an interview and they think that everybody needs to hear their opinion. And it's not that I think that there's anything wrong with sharing your opinion. Don't get me wrong. I want to hear your opinion. I want you to comment. But what I don't like is when people are disrespectful and they seem to think that, oh, I can go online and I can just give my unfiltered opinion about things and be extremely rude and disrespectful to people just because that's how it's done. I'm bored. It's fun for me to be mean. I hate my life. I hate my job. Time to be mean to somebody that's trying to do a good thing. That's what it is, really, isn't it? It's I'm bored. It's fun to troll and be mean. And what I'm saying is, no, you're not a special snowflake. There's a lot of people like that out there. They call them social justice warriors. They call them snowflakes, meaning the people out there that think that they're special little snowflakes and everybody needs to hear their opinion about such and such horrible injustice. Look, at the end of the day, you're just a number, and you're a number that's going to get crunched. You're meat, and you're headed for the meat grinder. Unless you smarten up, that's all you're going to be. So wake the fuck up. Wake up. Wake up. That's me giving you an order to wake the hell up. Open your eyes. Okay, enough of this. <laughs> Let's move on to something more positive before I start slitting my wrist. <laughs> okay, anyways, I'm just kidding. Now I'm going to hear from the people that think I'm making fun of depressed, suicidal people. <laughs> There's always a group that I'm offending. Oh my god. Uh, okay, so in the news. We're in the wrap-up portion of the show. And remember, you can call in this show at any time at... What's that number again? 209-348-9810. Just let me warm up with a guest. Give me 10, 15 minutes. It's 209-348-9810. Or just add NinjaShoes777 on Skype. And this is the news and wrap-up section of the show. Obviously, there's one thing that I need to talk about that I have not yet, and that is the violence going on in Charlottesville. There's so much to talk about there. Oh, For one thing, what I need to do right now is I need to, or well, at some point tonight, is I need to go on YouTube and watch some of these videos and events that everybody's talking about. Apparently, there's all kinds of hilarious and awesome stuff going on where neo-Nazis are dressing up in battle armor and and having having huge brawls with uh, protesters from the liberal side of things. So they're having war in the streets. And, and some guy ran over a bunch of people with a car. Just some vicious piece of shit, racist, racist. Real, these are real racists. Look, a lot of people that call, get called racist are not racist. It's something that happens a lot nowadays. It's true. But if it is in somebody's heart, it doesn't take you long to realize it. And I'm sorry, but if you're a neo-Nazi 
which have nothing to do with the original Nazis, by the way. Nothing at all. They don't even understand the real Nazis. If you're a neo-Nazi, if you're a white supremacist, if you're a KKK member or anything like that, then you are a piece of shit, period. And you are a racist. And I would never even give you the time of day because you're a piece of shit. And anybody that would join a hate group and want to spend their spare time amongst a group of equally psychotic and sociopathic hateful individuals, there's something wrong with you. Even if you were a racist person, why would you want to spend your day why would you want to spend your day with a bunch of evil, psychotic, hateful people? Do you think that any good's going to come out of that? Those are your friends? Those are the people that you want to, want to impress? There's something wrong with that, obviously. But anyways, another thing that's wrong with this situation is it's happening in, what is it, West Virginia, Virginia? And... It's my understanding. Somebody told me this long ago, and if I'm wrong, of course you can correct me. But it's my understanding that that area has a lot of racist people. It's the home of, it's the home of either the neo Nazis or the white supremacists, or maybe there's just a lot of racist people that live there. But to be a liberal and to go there in the territory of these really racist people and protest—that's ballsy. I I don't think that that's a good idea. Why don't you? just protest somewhere in California or Seattle. In Seattle, there's protests going on every day. And trust me, nobody's beating each other up. You go to the animal rights protests at 2, the gay rights protests at 6, the racist protests at 8, and then you can protest Donald Trump at 10. There's a lot of protesting going on in Seattle. In fact, I've almost been run over by mobs of protesters at times. And there was a really funny group that were protesting the the new animal lab that they were building, the University of Washington. Great institution, great institution, great football team. However, for whatever reason, they want to build a laboratory that experiments makeup and hairspray and stuff like that on poor little innocent animals. And, yeah, obviously that is very detestable. I don't know why more people don't speak out against something like that. Maybe because we all eat meat anyways. We're always stuffing our mouths with McDonald's and things like that. So what are we going to care if a animal is being used to make better hairspray or something like that, right? But the protesters were pretty funny because they would they would they would rhyme and then they would yell things that would crack me up like They'd be out there screaming, no more dead kitties, no more dead monkeys, no more dead bunnies. And when they said bunnies, they'd go, bunnies, like that. And I would just crack up because it sounds so weird. But, you know, I, I, I'm not to, it's not to say that I don't support what those people are doing. Obviously, I'm on their side. I'm not on the corporate side, that's for sure. What would that do for me? I don't work for that company. Why the hell would I be on their side? The people that are involved in that sort of thing. Okay, look, look, I'm going to go off topic a little bit. A lot of times I hear people, they say things to me like, why don't the people in North Korea just rebel against Kim Jong-un? Why don't they just rebel and have a rebellion? Why don't we go over there and assassinate him? Those are the main things that I hear about North Korea. Now, we got to think about this a little bit. What happens if we assassinated Kim Jong-un? 
you think all of a sudden the people are going to be free? Is that what you think? No, 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 no. What's going to happen is whatever guy is second in command to Kim Jong-un is going to become first in command. And that same power structure is going to be in power. See, Kim Jong-un is nothing but a figurehead ultimately. It's his advisors and generals that surround him that most likely have the real power and know what's going on. And he's out there hanging out with Dennis Rodman and getting haircuts and getting weird-looking haircuts and doing things like that. Think about it. The people that are generals, that are high-up officials, that are leaders, they have a position in society. They have money. And who's to say the new boss is going to like them as much as the old boss? So why would they do anything to threaten the hierarchy that sustains their illusion of superiority? Wow, I made that way too complicated. Why would they do anything to go against the power structure that keeps them having more than the poor Koreans around them? Why would they do anything to mess that up? There's people invested in the power structure. That's why change can't happen there. Because you have to have at least enough basic freedom for people to go in the streets and protest without getting shot and killed. Once you reach a point like what North Korea is at right now, it's very hard for anybody to to speak out or organize or anything like that. As soon as it happens, it just gets smashed right away. For something like that to really happen, it, you would need some kind of miracle, really. Everybody at once would have to just decide, hey, enough's enough. And even the people high up, the high the thing is that Korean culture is different than American culture. Like, for example, in a school in Korea, if you don't, if, if you're in America and you don't do what the teacher says or the principal says or an authority figure says, they send you, they make you go to Saturday school or detention or expel you or whatever. In Korean school, they think it's okay for the teachers to beat the crap out of the students when they do something wrong. That's their mentality. That's the mentality that they have there. You step out of line, you get physically beaten and hurt until you step back in line. And I know it's been like that in this country in the past, but luckily, thank God it's not like that anymore because that's how dumb people are. People are so stupid that they think that that's a good way to rear children. <laughs> Right? Teach them to fear authority and teach them that might equals right. Seed them with all sorts of little traumas throughout their childhood so they grow up feeling powerless and start to rage. <laughs> yeah, that's really smart, people. But anyways, that's the thing that's going on with North Korea. That's why we can't just assassinate Kim Jong-un and make everything better. That's why we can't. That's why the people don't revolt and just suddenly make everything better. They need an intervention. They do. They really do. I don't know if they have these weapons they claim to have, but eventually something's got to give. And I'm not a warmonger. I, I'm not Republican or anything like that. But I think that we're on a road that's going to lead us into North Korea. I do. I think we're going to have to go in there. Because this little crazy bastard, he's stepping out of line. <laughs> he's stepping out of line. And I think his father was a saber rattler, but he kind of knew when to cut the shit. This guy is just, and that's what they were worried about before he came into power. They were worried that he was going to be like he is. 
they were worried he's going to do the things that he's doing. And all he has to do is keep pushing the envelope. And eventually something's got to give, and we're going to have to go in there. It'd probably be better than going into Iraq. I mean, at least we would actually be truly liberating some people. But enough of this. Okay. Now, (laughs) I did see something weird. Wait, I started talking about racial violence in Charlottesville, and somehow I ended up talking about North Korea. I apologize for that. But you guys know how I feel about the violence. I think it's stupid, and anybody that would actually put themselves out there on either side, there's something seriously wrong with you. You shouldn't be going anywhere near any of that drama. Think about yourself. I'm not saying you shouldn't be an activist. Of course you should be an activist. Activism is what it's all about. That's why I'm here. This is my form of activism. Of course. That's what I want you to do. But I don't want you to be stupid. Use your mind, not your fist. Use your brain, not brawn. You gotta use your mind. You're not gonna get anything done by trying to impress your friends and go out there and punch a Nazi. (laughs) You're not gonna do any good. The only thing you're gonna do is you're gonna punch a Nazi. And either you're gonna get hurt or he's gonna get hurt or why? Why would you sacrifice yourself just to teach some dumbass a lesson who's still not going to understand? What do you think that you're accomplishing? Be a hero. If you want to be a hero, be a hero. Work smart, not hard. Don't go out there and act like trash. Remember how Martin Luther King did it. Remember how Gandhi did it. Nonviolent. Non-stupid. People are still going to get hurt either way. But do it the right way. Don't be don't be a victim. Yeah, I I said it. I think the people that go out there and protest and throw rocks and bricks, I think you're extremely stupid. And what's going to end up happening? They're going to end up putting cameras on every street corner just like they did in England. And at least over here we're fighting about relevant social issues, they were fighting about soccer, or footy, as they call it. (laughs) Shout out to you uh, Arsenal fans out there. (laughs) Oh, man. Well, I have quite a bit to talk about. I'm not sure how much I'm going to be able to get to this, because I got two more shows tomorrow, and I need to finish this show so I can start working on those shows. So I think that I'm going to save some of this stuff, but... I do have a letter to read. And then we'll do our mind-blowing moment of the day for this episode. At least this got me to stop thinking about revelations. (laughs) Let's talk about North Korea. Let's talk about Charlottesville. Okay, so... Excuse me, I've been on air for a while. If I burp or flatuate or something like that, I'm sorry. I know it's unprofessional. I'm not trying to be professional. When I start getting paid, <laughs> then I'll try to be professional. Because then that means I can get fired. I can't get fired. Who's going to fire me? Only I can fire me. Only God can fire me. Okay, so let's read a letter. Enough jibba-jabbering. Dear Daniel. <coughs> excuse me. Dear Daniel. Who would win in a fight? The Hulk or Thor? This is from Abby. 
Okay, Abby, I know that you know that I'm a comic book fan, but <laughs> Hulk versus Thor, let me guess, you're excited about the new Thor movie, right? That is a tough question to answer, but it is a question that I can answer. First of all, I, I don't know how many of you out there even know who Thor and Hulk is. You know, the Hulk, there was a TV show and movies and comic books and stuff, the big green guy. And Thor, he's the son of Odin. There's a comic book about him. He's in the Avengers. He's a god, and he's a superhero, Marvel Comics. And they're both really super strong. They're both strong like Superman. Actually, Superman's probably stronger than they are. How would you really gauge that? But the way that the Hulk's power works is he was doing an experiment, the guy Bruce Banner, and he got hit by a gamma radiation from an experiment that they were doing with nuclear weapons and he gained the ability or I don't know if it's an ability but when he gets really mad he transforms into this 8 to 10 foot tall steroided out beast that is just bulging with muscle and then he goes and he rampages and the, and the gimmick with the Hulk he doesn't have tons of different powers but the madder he gets the stronger he gets so he's very hard to stop and the other thing is he heals really fast. So if somebody cuts him, shoots him, makes him bleed, or even kills him, he just comes back. He's very hard to stop. You call it a healing factor, like Wolverine, but the Hulk's healing factor is way better. Now, Thor, he does not have a healing factor. He does not get stronger as he gets angrier. But he already starts off really strong. He might start off stronger than the Hulk before the Hulk gets really mad. After he's after he has transformed, of course. But Thor, he's a god, so he is super strong and he can fly so long as he has his hammer. He's got a weapon too, the hammer, which makes him even more of a badass. And I'm not going to get into Thor's powers because I don't have time for that. But the thing about Thor, and the reason why, in my opinion, he could kick the Hulk's butt is because he has other powers. Thor is the god of thunder. He could, at any point, call upon a gigantic lightning bolt and just fry the shit out of the Hulk. He could fly up in the air. He could just keep tossing his hammer at the Hulk and having it return to him until there's nothing less left of the Hulk. Thor can even do stuff like he can open a black hole with his hammer and just kick the Hulk into it and never have to worry about him again. It's not that I don't like the Hulk. I'm just telling you, on paper, Thor has way too many powers. Did you know that Thor can actually time travel using his hammer? So yeah, it's not even realistic to think that the Hulk could fight Thor. They just do it because it's an interesting battle. But on paper, Thor would absolutely mutilate the Hulk with ease. So, Abby, I hope that answers your question. <laughs> I spent way too long on that. <laughs> okay. And if you don't like comic books, whatever. I don't care. Nobody wants to hear you bitch and whine. Open your mind, pick up a comic book, and improve your life. You know what I like to do? I like to buy old comic books and look at the ads. The ads have video games and stuff like that from when I was a kid. <laughs> Okay, let's see. I'm going to save the rest, rest of this stuff for tomorrow, but I did want to do the mind-blowing moment of the day. Let me grab my tambourine.
Where are you? There you are. It's time for the mind-blowing moment of the day. Holy crap, that was annoying. <laughs> okay, so... <laughs> so, uh... I'm gonna say that the mind-blowing moment of the day was when Stan Deo told us about the way that the anti-gravity technology works. A lot of it's hard to understand, of course. It's very complicated. But the part that really struck out to me, or stuck out to me, was when he mentioned the field that is created, the gravity, electromagnetic field, whatever it is, that gets generated, that it actually separates you from the physics around you. That was that was my explanation of what he was talking about, but I think that that is so freaking fascinating, and I'm so glad that I had Stan on this show to tell me that and, and help me understand what happened to me just a little bit more when I saw that craft and how it was able to do the things that it was doing. Now that I understand that, I feel like I understand quite a bit more. It, it makes perfect sense. This explains why UFOs can zigzag across the sky like they do. Crazy, huh? Yeah. So that's the mind-blowing moment of the day. And I, I also wanted to give a big shout-out, just once again, to all the listeners out there. One thing that you guys might not be aware of is this show has grown like crazy the past few months. It's probably doubled or even tripled in listeners, which is crazy. I, all of a sudden, I'm getting a lot more feedback. I've, I've seen tons of more people involved. And why that is, I don't know. I've been working very hard. I've been working hard to create a lot of good interviews. But I am very pleased to see how much this show is growing. It's actually starting to get kind of crazy popular, which is overwhelming for me because I... I've never been in a position like this before. I've never I've never been the center of attention in any way. I was always the shy kid in the corner. And I still am. I'm in the corner right now. But I just wanted to say a big thank you to all of you guys out there that put up with me and my crazy personality and my sometimes unfiltered mouth. I want to thank you guys for for appreciating my honesty because I will always be honest with you on the radio. I will never lie to you. I will never, I will never lead you on. I will never try to make you believe in anything that I don't believe in. I want you guys to know that this program is for you. It's not for anybody except you, you hardcore listeners of this show, you people that listen to every episode and you soak up every second this this is you are the reason why i'm doing this you guys the people out there that love the show you are the reason and i thank you for giving me a reason to be here and a reason to be on this planet breathing i don't know what's gonna happen i have a feeling we're in for some shit and i have a feeling what's going on with this show is indeed bigger than than trying to be a good show or be in a form of entertainment or or trying to get over or be famous or anything like that. What's going on with this show is much bigger. It's much bigger. And sometimes I have to be reminded of that. I have to be reminded that there's a mission here and this stuff is real. And there is 
nothing that's going to stop me short of a bullet in the head. So if you want some, come get some. I'm just kidding. Please don't come after me or kill me. Thank you. <laughs> I've got things to do. Somebody did try to kill me. I've already told that story. And there are other stories that I have not shared and some that I probably won't ever. But like I said, I thank you guys so much. All of you people out there that have some reason to listen. Maybe something weird happened to you. Maybe you're just bored. I don't care. I'm so glad that you are there. Should I spend another hour just thanking you guys and telling you how awesome you are? Just showering you in all of this love. <laughs> um, I'll send you each and every one of you a gift basket full of amazing fruit pies and pictures of myself and little action figures that look like me. Oh yes, oh yes. I'm just kidding. Calm down. I'm not a narcissist. I'm not a snowflake. Okay. So, as you know, there is another double show tomorrow. How I'm doing it, I just don't know. But tomorrow, we'll be talking to the guys from the or the guy from the Mandate 33 channel on YouTube. And we will also be talking to Greg Hausch, who is the spokesperson for Anonymous. That's right. The hacktivist group Anonymous is going to be teaming up with End of Days Radio. How do you like them apples? Scary, scary, scary. Hang on to your seats because it's going to be a wild ride. And if you like End of Days Radio, remember to subscribe on all those services out there. Remember to do that. All of them. Anywhere you get podcasts, you can get End of Days Radio. If you want to donate to the show, just go to endofdaysradio.com. Click the donate button. Help me keep the lights on and the servers up. I do appreciate that. And I appreciate you guys out there helping me buy this new mic that I'm talking into right now. It really has improved the show quite a bit, in my opinion. So, until next time, I'm Daniel, and this is the end of days. From the beginning. And I was shown that um, uh, that Lucifer would return, that the UN and the Vatican were going to be completely behind it, again, under false pretenses. He's going to show up and say, I'm here to save the day, right? Uh, and, okay, fine, you know. Yeah, of course, ahead, you can say whatever you want. But I've always hated censorship. It's the internet. Sometimes, you know, once they get you for your first love bite, well, it depends on how aware you are, right? I fucked up my bullets I never had a gun Here I am left standing Am I the only one? For what I see, memories have guilted me. I'll never see the sun. Uh, first of all, as you know, the uh, the Anunnaki and the Draco are enemies. Second of all, underneath Baghdad was a stargate that was created by the Anunnaki so that they could transfer from the Jupiter to the Earth. I'll never see the sun 
I could just end it all. But the demons will have one. Practitioners that, you know, some are, are good and some use their magic for good and to heal and to help, and others do use it for evil. And, you know, in some cases, you know, people really were. This is too much sometimes.